it's a it's a very special pre-show stream today as uh we, there's we have to do a lot to compete um larry from that larry show is with us sir bemrose is with us two guys that have never been live on the stream before well sir bemrose won't admit to it anyway but we have a lot to try to live up to when you when you follow mark and his son, Stephen, who do a lot of these pre-shows, Larry. Stephen's three years old and speaks more uh, Dutch and English than I do, just English. So <laughs> they are hard to beat. But I'd like to welcome Larry from that Larry show to the stream. The Your show has been running for a few weeks now, has gotten a lot of great feedback from everybody in the stream. And uh, so we thought it would be great to have you on instead of Adam Curry throwing the show to you. We figured you'd let you throw the show to Adam Curry. So we're going to get into your background and what you've been doing. What a and, kick. And Sir Bemrose, you're on a live stream. How does it feel? Uh, Coffee. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I know it's early it's, for both of you guys. It, so It's 7 a.m. on the West Coast right now. Just letting anybody know this. Uh, we'll, we'll have our traffic and weather report later. Yes. You're doing traffic and weather. Is there is there any traffic or weather where you are, Sir Bemrose? I thought you pretty much look out the there, window and see nothing. Yeah. Well, there is, in fact, weather. Is it's, there climate? Yes. Is it changing? It, it does that, I'm told. <laughs> it's changing quickly, and it's all because of your wooden stove in the house. Yeah. The, the climate is currently uh, falling from the sky in a light drizzle. Well, that's what happens in the area that you are. You're you're kind of in an undisclosed area on the on the West Coast. Ooh, I love that secret stuff. I know it it adds to it. You don't want anybody tracking you down. So you stay off the grid. You just you don't make the correlation though to uh, Professor Ted. <laughs> See that's right, Sir Bemrose. Anyway, Larry, your show is uh I was thinking about this last night because you were one of the big reasons that kind of kicked me in the ass and said, do a solo show because co-hosts can be flaky. They don't always show up. And uh, so now I'm doing a show with Sir Bembrose. I don't know what that means, <laughs> but your show. And I was thinking about this last night. I'm like, I don't listen to any other single person show. So I really don't know how you convince me to do this because you do a great show solo and i'm like every other show i listen to it's i listen to a lot of kevin smith stuff but there's always a co-host there's tell them steve dave which is three guys and a variety of other people that come in the no agenda show obviously here um you know and, and nick the rat who i i don't think we can say he does a solo show because he's got all those personalities and all the people that yeah. call in and it's very very hard to do a solo show you know, why did you decide to do it? And what's your background coming into this stuff? Oh, Lordy. Uh, I just, I decided to, I, I used to screw around a little bit in, uh, you know, conventional terrestrial radio way back in, in New York and, and also in LA and uh, talk radio. And there's always, you know, some PD or station manager standing behind you telling you what to say or play or whatever. And then, uh, you know, I'd kind of, was became aware of the whole podcasting thing uh some some years ago but i remember reading i picked up a copy of podcasting for dummies and opened it up and saw this shit about i don't know was it you know pointing your dns servers to the zimzow and the internal frame i thought <laughs> oh, that this is too fucking much i can't i can't deal with this 
And uh, but I but I thought but I like the idea of it, you know, of of just doing it by yourself, nobody telling you what to do or when or whatever. And then I guessed on a on a friend's podcast a couple of years ago, and I thought, gee, this doesn't look so hard. He's just clicking the mouse same as anybody else, and that's kind of how it started. Yeah, the um, technological yeah. aspect has gotten a lot easier. Yeah, but you know the Zimzow. That's the the old method we use. The from friend these days. Mm-hmm. Um, we. <laughs> I mean, I, I come to this from the technological side. Uh, I've been uh, known to the no agenda group as uh, the, the local dude named Ben for quite a while. And uh, yeah, like Darren said, this is my first uh, step into any kind of radio. So uh, I I'm still at that stage where I completely hate my voice. And uh, so every time I hear it, it played back to me, it's distracting. Uh, I'm, I'm told that it's enchanting. It is. I'm enchanted, aren't you, Darren? I am. And the greatest thing about having a co-host that hates his own voice, you know he won't listen to the show. I do the editing. So, I mean, he'll never know what the show is. <laughs> you out know, of I, sight, out of mind. Right. I, I could just splice the words in different ways. Yeah. I could be like, Sir Bemrose, what do you think about this? And his answer was, hey, I thought that was great. I'll just splice in him saying, I thought that sucked and go on upon you- my merry way. You, you can't make me sound any worse than my opinions already are. Well, that's true. I, you know, on the No Agenda show, they've got the, the crackpot and the buzzkill. It's a very good right. balance. And on Grumpy Old Ben's, we've got the crackpot and the other crackpot. <laughs> well, <laughs> now, how did you come up with that title, Grumpy Old Ben's? Well, it, it, we have you know the movie Grumpy Old Men, right. and it just kind of came because of the fact that while I don't have anywhere near the technical background of Sir Bemrose, I do also have a background of doing web design and graphic design. So I, I am in the technological sphere to a certain point. Uh, I, I can be dangerous, you know, if I have to SSH into my router and change settings or into, you know, set up other Linux devices. I can do that. I don't claim to be a professional at it and I can screw more things up than I get right. But since the no agenda uh, terminology for guys with technical experience is dude named Ben. Then that just came uh, down to grumpy old Ben's. We knew we were going to confuse a lot of people outside of the no agenda sphere. Yeah. Let's see, you know, what are grumpy old Ben's? But we hope, you know, the name was just obscure enough to get them interested to click that first time, which is the hardest thing to do with podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, that makes sense. I like that. Little yeah. mystery is always good, right? I think so. But, you know, it's, you know, podcasting has really come to a point. You think about it when Adam Curry had this idea way back in the origin stories of podcasting. It was, well, you know, we can do these audio files, but everybody's Internet is so slow that the idea was these things could download overnight and they can take it with them in the morning on their local commute. Right. Now that you can go anywhere i mean the fact that this stream uh, which anybody can have access to a stream like this if you know how to set up an icecast server or if you're willing to spend a couple of bucks a month and these streams are available real time to anybody with internet access which is now anybody with a cell phone no matter where they are as long as they have cell service mm-hmm. you could be streaming the show so i mean the real question becomes now what, what do we need terrestrial radio for this is the ultimate pirate radio because i don't need an antenna that you know i can stick on my roof and get maybe you know 20 30 miles out of it the internet's the ultimate antenna i can get anywhere now in the world which is wild 
Oh, yeah. It's so crazy how the thing is flipped lately. There's a guy, uh, there's a radio fixture in L.A. He's been here forever. Does a, a morning morning drive show called, his name is Bill Handel, or Handel, I forget. And uh, I remember listening to him a few years ago. Not not that many, maybe two, three. And he was talking about being at a party and, you know, being that he's in radio, nobody who looks like, nobody, you know, can recognize him. And uh, somebody says, what do you do? And, and Handel says, well, I, I do a radio show here in L.A. And the other guy says, oh, that's cool. I'm, I'm in radio too. And, and Bill goes, well, what station? And the guy says, well, I'm on a podcast. I do a podcast. And then Handel smirked. And he said, like, you know, get real. Nice. See you around. And that was two or three years ago. And I'd say at night, right now, I mean, Handel would be overjoyed to have Adam's audience or Rogan's audience or Corolla's audience. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. really flipped pretty quickly. Well, it has podcasting is uh, podcasting is definitely the future uh, for all the reasons that Darren mentioned, and it's uh, it's not something that uh, anybody in in uh, classic radio or television even wants to admit. So you're certainly not. I mean, you'll see the the occasional story about well, you know, this podcast network is da da da, da but they'll never mention the numbers or anything because yeah. it is a huge threat to all existing old style media sure well and that's it and media and the, these companies don't realize that i worked with country music artists going back a decade and more and at that point everybody was talking about why music sales were going down and it was strictly in a bubble nobody was even acknowledging the fact that you had these video game systems that were starting to come out that people were spending their money on. And there were some of these other, you know, the video streaming services, and there were just so many different places for people to go for entertainment that you can only consume so much of anything in a day. It doesn't matter if it's music, if it's podcasting, if it's television, if it's movies, if it's video games, if it's any major sport in major league baseball, seeing that now there's so much, there was a report the other day, which I don't know if I believe, but the headline was, the average person only has four free hours a week. And if that's the case, all media screwed. Yeah. I mean, cause there's nothing at that point. So it's podcasting is like, I, we talked briefly yesterday. It's like, but the greatest thing about podcasting is any idiot can do a podcast. And the worst thing about podcasting is any idiot can do a podcast, which means there are a lot of people that are doing really, really good shows and it's hard to get found because you're just one of if somebody goes to the iTunes store, the Android store, wherever they're getting their podcast list. Right. We can all get listed, but it's it's getting somebody to actually listen to that show. And that's that's really the trick. Sure. There's there's an Internet adage that I like to quote. It's called Sturgeon's Law. And uh, it, it really I mean, it's always been around uh, a guy by the name of Sturgeon. And I didn't look up his first name. Uh, came up with this back in the the 40s or so, but uh, you know, in in previous decades, there's always been some some company or something curating. When there's only three channels, they decided what was on. Right. Uh, but Sturgeon's Law says that 90 percent of everything is crap, and so when you have somebody curating a channel, you end up with only the things that they think are good, and therefore you can go, oh well, television is pretty good. And the moment that you open up the floodgates, you don't have anybody curing, curating anything anymore. Uh, like Darren just said, everything that is put out 
is 90% crap. And so the real trick is to find out where is that 10% that's worth listening to. And, and actually in the internet age, I would say it's more like 99.99% is crap, but, uh, still, if the law holds, if you multiply the total amount of content out there by a thousand, then you multiply the amount of good content out there by a thousand. And, uh, it is absolutely at the point where the currency of, of the entertainment age of the internet is, is attention. It is people do not pay you i mean it's nice if they pay you with money but but the real payment that everybody has is how much attention are they willing to spend and if they if they give you 1 hour of their week that's that's a pretty big investment that's a lot bigger than than a 10 dollar donation i mean it, it's nice to get the 10 dollars too uh, but yeah if we're just getting this podcast off the ground and if we get anybody to listen on a weekly basis, then I will be absolutely thrilled because they're spending their currency on us. Darren, you picked a great co-host. This guy actually knows what he's talking about. Which is what I've been I telling salute you, sir, Ben Rose. <laughs> <laughs> Which is exactly what I've been telling him. He is still fairly convinced everybody in the troll room that's, that's playing along with us right now. He's convinced this is nothing but a long-term con that this is a scam to to get him to act, you know, to sound like an idiot in front of a bunch of people. And I keep trying to convince him that, no, you know what you're talking about. And that is well, really the hardest I'm still thing. convinced it's working. Right. We'll see. It is. It's working. And, you know, the hardest part is to turn off the part of your brain that says people are listening to you and just, you know, have a conversation. And that's the same way I think even when you're doing a solo podcast is, if you if you sit there and really start thinking that, hey, there's X amount of people listening, it just kind of gets into your head. You do the show for yourself. If you're doing a show with a co-host, you try to have a good conversation. If you're doing a roundtable, the same thing. And hopefully anybody that just happens to be listening is uh, is getting something out of it. But yeah. it, it's interesting when Sir Bemrose is talking about how, it you know, again, where it's hard to find the good content. When the Internet started, the biggest search engine was Yahoo!, who was trying to do this stuff by hand. I mean, Yahoo, if you remember back in the day, if you went and did a search for, you know, dog groomers, they were going to have a list of allegedly, you know, sites that they've looked at that were good with little ratings. And we've now turned into the, the Google sphere where every, everybody that has a website, you know, that's all going to be thrown at you. And it's, there's nowhere that is really uh, being the, the, the quality keeper in all of these things, which I guess, you know, is you, good and bad. You, you have three actors in the, in the content space. You've always got the creators, you've got the listeners, and then you've got the middlemen. And in general, uh, no economy requires the middleman. Uh, but so someone like Yahoo or Google, when they're trying to monetize this space, they're really just trying to wedge themselves into a niche between the creator and the, the consumer. Uh, but the one space, the the holy grail that every middleman has tried to become is is the curator. They are trying to be the ones to pick out the the really good content, and uh, that's a topic for a whole other show. Is uh, you know who who do you get to do your curating? Because there's just too many out there to to find on your own. So you got to. I mean, you either. You either spend all your time trying to find your podcast, or you got to trust somebody. So, do you trust Yahoo? Do you trust Google? Who 
who are you going to get to do your curation for you? You trust no one. <laughs> That's kind of the point. That's it. The uh, an interesting comment, Carolyn Blaney of the Hug Story podcast in the chat room said it's now it's Facebook pages, Twitter pages, no web pages, which is getting to be increasingly true and increasingly annoying to me, especially yeah. when I'm trying to go find if there's like a new restaurant in the area and you try to go find their menu and you look them up and you're looking for a website and it takes you to a Facebook page. Mm. Th that's absolutely zero marketing. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I go I go back to. Uh, way back in the day when Britney Spears had just came out, her marketing manager talked about their concept was all a wagon wheel, which was everything they did, whether, you know, at the time it was Facebook, Twitter, anything that they were doing media wise was to funnel everybody back to their website. And for some reason now, everybody just, oh, follow me on Twitter, follow me on Instagram. And it's good that you have followers in all these places. I think, um, you know, I know I have Twitter, I have Instagram, I barely use it. I know you do as well for the show, Larry. Sir Bemrose, on the other hand, is nowhere, mm -hmm. which may be the thing to be as well. But all of these things get so fragmented so quickly, and there's so much noise on these and these particular social medias that I really don't know if they're doing any good for a majority of people from a marketing standpoint. What do you think? I think you're right. I think I think if you're a, if you're a Twitter whale, you know, with hundreds of thousands or millions of followers, yeah, then it's doing you some good. But uh, you know, there's there's a there's a strata of uh, of I think of a tipping point of what gives you breakthrough power or keeps you anonymous, and uh, you have to rack up some impressive numbers to get into that breakthrough zone. It's kind of the the, the impression I get about it. And then Sir Bemrose, your your social media is what a, a the whole social media world is the no agenda social, right? Uh, well, I I also have uh, neighbors. I mean, you're online social media. <laughs> this is one thing I've learned with Sir Bemrose is that the words mean things. You need to be very specific. Your online I, um, social presence. My most of my online social presence is is a small number of communities. Uh, to my detriment, uh, I am active on Reddit. Uh, but really, that, yeah, and I, I I'm trying to get off of that one because that's a toxic shithole. Well, let me ask: Can I just throw an anchor out here for a second? Why is I very rarely visited, and the few times I have, you know, skated over there, I thought, get me the fuck out of here right now. What is it about that place? It's it's just cancer. Why? Uh, well, okay. So at, at its root, uh, Reddit has an upvote and downvote system, right. which uh, they apply not only to all articles and link. You know, it, it originally, uh, you probably don't remember what Dig was like, but it came it came into popularity as a replacement for Dig, and before that, there was Slashdot and. Uh, basically a place where somebody could come and say, Hey, I found this interesting page on the web here. Mm -hmm. Let me show it to you. And, uh, so at its core, the interaction is somebody posts a link to something interesting and then people comment on it. Uh, the, then when, whenever somebody posts something, you get to up and down vote that. And then right. you can also up and down vote comments. Mm -hmm. uh, the idea behind it, the way that they originally said was, well, what you need to do is, is your upvote says this is worth seeing. Your downvote is this isn't worth seeing. Right. Uh, but that took about point 
0.025 seconds for everybody to go, actually, upvote means I agree with it and downvote means I don't agree with it. Right. Uh, so then the moment that you get something even vaguely political posted there, for example, um, you're going to, you know, Reddit is, is composed mostly of younger people, uh, mostly people who are hooked into tech. And for the most part, that group is uh, some majority uh, liberal. Um, they're, they're kind of leftist or, you know, even if, even if you don't put it in the left, right divide, they, they have fairly strong opinions. And the way that the voting system works is that if you have even a small majority of votes of one side or another, uh, that small majority will tend to take all the comments that agree with the majority and drag them up and take all the comments that don't focus on what the hive mind thinks and push them down. And over time, anybody who doesn't agree with the hive mind will go, well, fuck this. Every time I comment, it just gets downvoted and I don't want to be here anymore. And everybody who is in line with the hive mind will post something and go, yeah, everybody loves me. I'm getting all these free internet points. And eventually you drive away everybody who doesn't think exactly the same way. Uh And, and so uh, you know, there, then, then you throw in some fun things like the Reddit administration, uh, being a Silicon Valley company has Silicon Valley values and, and they, uh, they are absolutely participating in the deplatforming of, of any group that doesn't conform to what they think society should be like. And you end up with the internet's greatest echo chamber mm. because the only people who post there are people who believe what the people there already believe. And they, you know, the, the best thing that Reddit ever did was split it up into subreddits so that you can build a community based on a small idea. And then you can, uh, if, if you're really strict about moderating and you're really strict about your content, then you can kind of build a, a small community about around one topic and then get a pretty good discussion. And those are the communities that I go for. But any of the large ones, you just go in and you're going to be hit in the face with the majority opinion and nothing else. So is that why the Reddit founder killed himself? He saw what he created and said, I'm out of here. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't think that's the reason, but uh, <laughs> I, I would be surprised if he wasn't horribly disappointed in his creation. And and if he, w- if he were looking at it today, he would be spinning around in his grave. Uh, Aaron Swartz is who you're talking about. And Aaron uh-huh. Swartz was a, he was a free speech absolutist. He, he was really big in the EFF and he believed that freedom online was paramount to a functioning society and to see what reddit is now where uh they uh they had a subreddit called uh, watch people die which oh. was it was well uh, i mean the posts that were on topic for that were videos of people dying now that might not be your thing and if it isn't your thing then you're probably a well-adjusted individual but a lot of people like seeing that sort of thing. And the moderators in there knew that they were controversial. So they were extremely careful to weed out any content that might cause this to bleed over into the rest of it. And they, you know, they made sure that if you went here, you absolutely came here because you wanted to watch people die. And they were really careful about it. But this New Zealand thing happened last month mm-hmm. and Reddit just said, well, we can't have people, we can't have anywhere online that, allows people to see someone dying because that would be politically incorrect and they banned it. Hmm. 
And I do think that Aaron Swartz would be really disappointed because uh, uh, I've I've read a bunch. I used to be a big reader of his blog, and he was an absolutist. If uh, he believed, as I do, that uh, either you have completely free speech, one hundred percent, or you don't have free speech. Yeah. Well, and Reddit is the only place that's still on the internet that I can recall and I'm, I'm with Larry I don't really get Reddit I don't spend a lot of time there but it's one of the only places that's left on the internet where you can get an account and immediately start posting without even having to give them an email address or anything that can track them back to you which is an amazing thing on the fact that it's still around when you see all the deplatforming going on everywhere else the Reddit that with that particular concept is both good and bad because what you were just talking about there is there a matter of degrees or is it black and white when it comes to free speech i'm with you sir bemrose that i would say i'm gonna i'm gonna err on the side of let anybody say whatever the hell they want because anything that takes any bit of that away takes away freedoms from people that probably don't deserve that taken away and this started for me Back when I was doing podcasting, you know, way back a decade ago with a buddy of mine, Jeff Kraske, doing a show called Common Man, Common Sense, the minute the bullying thing became news, it just it triggered something in my head that said, this is just the first stone being skipped across the lake to see what's going to happen. Because like everything else, you know, oh, it's for the children. We don't want people to be bullied. And bullying quickly turned into hate speech, Larry, and hate speech quickly turned into, oh, you support the president? Well, you're you're obviously a homophobic, racist person, and you don't sure. deserve to have a voice. So is there any is there any speech that should be curtailed at all? I mean, is that I, I would say no, uh, but I understand uh, I, where that can cause problems. OK, so I think you're asking the wrong question. Uh, I I am personally of the opinion that everybody should have the right to say anything that they want. However, what you do not have the right to is get anybody to listen to you. Uh, the, you can, you can shout all you want, all of the most deplorable, you know, you can scream racist, homophobic, sexist things. If you want, I don't think that you have any right that to make people listen to you. And I, if you are going to say a bunch of things that are, are just wrong, I will never try to make you stop talking, but I'm going to stop listening. I'm going to walk away. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is really what Nick the rat just said in the chat room is that speech should be naturally regulated by the community. And that makes sense. He's a Brooklyn guy like Larry. So he's making <laughs> sense. Nick baby, you know, and it's, it, it, that makes sense. I mean, the com you shouldn't be illegal for you to say anything, but you're absolutely right, Sir Bemrose, which is if you walk into a group of people and you start saying something they don't like, they can walk away. They don't have to listen to you. Oh, yeah. Well, I think something's changed so horribly with the whole, the way we operate as a society. I mean, it, it, the idea that now words are becoming forbidden and verboten, and if you speak them, you know, we're headed towards being prosecuted. You know, that's coming as it is in, in Europe. Um, and time was, yeah, you, you could say anything you want to anybody. And at the same time, if they were sufficiently offended, they could punch in the nose, but that's gone. 
now it's let me i'm calling the cops i don't like well, what I don't you know. said the, the, this guy in charlottesville got uh punched in the nose just because he was wearing a mega hat and yeah. uh and the jury fined him one dollar with no jail time wow so apparently that's perfectly okay now that's okay well yeah <laughs> i mean to to actually be going I mean, this is you can say that this isn't at the highest level in the United States government, but it, it does seem to be where you have the folks like Nancy Pelosi and anti Maxine Waters who were out there calling for people to, if you see politicians that we don't agree with on the street, get in their face. And this yeah. is not the politics that I grew up in. I mean, I'm no. uh, going to be 49 years old tomorrow. And I, the, my earliest presidents that I remember was the Jimmy Carter and Iran, uh, the hostage thing. That's the earliest thing I remember politically seeing on TV in that. But I've always up until fairly recently had the thought that these both sides fight to get an election done every four years, both sides come out with their fangs. And once the election is settled, uh, we get back to business and we work for the American public for three and a half years, and then we go fight each other for that six months to decide who's going to fight for the next three and a half years. But now it's, it's, it's insane when you have Hillary Clinton, you know, didn't win, but she won the popular vote. So she's going to, you're going to go on the, I should have won tour. Please, please don't bring up that popular vote bullshit. (laughs) Well, I think, I think the popular vote bullshit is very interesting because I think the liberals who are pushing for, the end of the way we do things, the ones that are pushing for the popular vote to matter rather than the electoral college don't understand something. And I live in the Chicago area and Illinois as a whole is really outnumbered because of Chicago. There's a lot of Republicans in Illinois, Larry, you're out in California. You know, there's a lot of Republicans out there outside of the cities who, and what Washington is the same way. We've got this mountain range that divides the state between left and right. But Seattle's on the left, so that's where all the politics go. And you have all these people that when Election Day comes along, go, yeah, screw it. The the Democrats are taking this state anyway. I don't need to go vote. My vote's going to be meaningless. We're never going to have a Republican win in Illinois, in California, in Washington. So there's a lot of Republicans that stay home. I don't think these idiot liberals who are trying to get rid of the Electoral College understand if every vote actually starts counting a lot more Republicans get out to vote in those states. But, you know, to balance it out, they're going to gain some votes from Wyoming and and South Dakota. I mean, that's got to count for something, right? Like a few hundred. Right. That's exactly it. You know, it, and the, the numbers don't make sense. This is trying to change the rules after a game is over and readjusting that game rather than, OK, let's let's change the rules and let's play again. You know, they're trying to be like, well, hey, look, if if if, if this counted and when somebody you know came up with this the first time, like, well, Hillary would have won the popular vote. And I'm like, well, yeah, but if, you know, hits mattered instead of runs in baseball last year would have been a whole different, you know, ending of the season. You can't well, change what constitutes a win and what constitutes a loss. You can't change the rules and try to, like, backpedal and see how this would have affected things, because just like the climate change, if you don't take every fact you know, everything that has an effect on it into account when coming up with your science, the, the end result is meaningless. So I can say anything I want. You can say anything you want. They can say, well, Hillary would have won the popular vote, but you know, you'd have to go back and re vote 
to, to understand who would have come out and who wouldn't have come out at that point. Or, you, you know, you have to figure out a way to make sure everybody votes. The, the other thing that uh, I, you, that I, I would just have to bring up here is uh, even in my relatively short lifetime of only 42 years, uh, I have watched the parties, the Republican and Democrat parties, not necessarily swap, but I've watched them every single election as as what the people care about starts to move. The parties move with them. And uh, it, it's on the local level, on the national level, and I think this is a direct result of the, the first past the post voting system. Uh, no matter what you change, the parties are going to rearrange themselves so that each party has exactly 50% give or take because the moment that one party be, gets you know 52%, they start winning all the elections. And if they do, then uh, there are going to be people in the party because parties are not uniform ideologies. They're, they're built up of, of marriages of convenience between a whole lot of groups who actually would be at each other's throats if there weren't a common enemy. But if, say, the Democrats manage to change the system somehow and get uh, consistently 54% of the vote every single election, the Republicans would be suddenly be a non-thing. And you'd immediately have the Demo- the far left socialist Democrats going against the far, you know, medium left uh, Republican Democrats or whatever they're new. And you'd immediately see two parties form out of this. So saying, well, we could just change the system and that will completely change the, well, I mean, yeah, but the, the change in the parties would be temporary and then they'd rearrange themselves and they'd completely disenfranchise some other group. Well, they've, they've tried changing a lot of this stuff out in California. I think it's the whole state of California, Larry, if you can correct me if I'm wrong, where you have a primary and the top two vote getters in the primary now go to the main ballot, whether those it's no longer the top Democrat, top Republican and throw an independent in. Yes, it's the top vote getters, which means in a lot of those areas, there's not even a Republican on the final ballot. Right. True. That's correct. <clears throat> and yeah. to me, that's absolutely insane because that is, you know, trying to they're again, they're creating the system that is going to give them the best chance of winning. And sure, you know, it it really doesn't make sense from a fair standpoint, but. Well, I think that's totally by design. And, you know, my feeling is that there's, there's more sinister forces at work here. Um, uh, You know, this is uh, the, the swing, the political swing in this country has been so extreme um, so quickly uh, you know, if you think of a, what a Democrat was in the Kennedy era, I mean, if JFK was was around today, he'd be excoriated as a right wing nut. And that is he was, probably true. Absolutely. You know, I mean, think of the guy. I mean, he he uh, he he landed on on Vietnam with both fists. He he put a man on the moon. You know, that's heresy today, isn't it? Yeah. So, and he was he was the figurehead of the Democratic Party. So. You know, I think, and to me, I'm a, I'm a word freak, so I'm always watching the words, and it just pisses me off you every time. Fit in really well with the No Agenda group for that. I'm sorry, what's that? 
Oh, you, you'd fit in really well with with the no agenda has been trained to uh, training uh, people to pay attention to the words that are. Oh, yeah. So you'd fit in well. Oh, thank you. Well, it's, it's just it's ghastly. I mean, whenever I see the word progressive, uh, my hackles go up. You know, it's just a euphemism for a communist. You know, I actually had a guy at a party a couple of years ago tell me, oh, well, you know, he's 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 he's, he's not a communist. He's a socialist. I said, really? Well, you're not drinking Coke. You're drinking Diet Coke. <laughs> Please. It's ludicrous. It is what it is. And you see that everywhere. You see, you know, uh, pr- progressive uh, uh, access, the word access, right? Everybody used to use the word access. That means free. That means government paid. Um, abor- you know, uh, reproductive rights. That's abortion. Inappropriate. I don't like what you said. I'm going to curtail your free speech. So the, 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 our, our lexicon has just become riddled with all this bullshit that that I really think most people don't have any idea that they're hearing words, singular words that are lies. That, that sounds like an excellent opportunity for an app, some kind yeah. of trans, automatic translation. Yeah. Well, you're a tech, sir. Do it, baby. <laughs> right. You're the coder. What are you talking about? You should be coding it as we speak, Sir Bemrose. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, words I'm, like... I'm it, not, not going to wade into that fire. But <laughs> you know, here in the city of Chicago, I think they just... Which I'm outside of. I'm not even in Crook County. Crook County. I'm right outside of that. Mm-hmm. But Chicago, on their city board, just, I think, elected five communists who were outright communists. This is... In very interesting times that we're living in. But I think you're right, Larry. When people hear the word access, like you just said, when people, we don't have access to health care. And my question's always been so if you walk into a hospital with a condition, they're going to send you away. And the the answer to that is no, they're not going to send you away. The, with their, you know, again, you're right by saying access means free. It's no longer they want access to health care, they want all health care to be free. Yeah. Or, or the, the one I love the most is access. You get this constantly. Access to birth control. Here's three bucks. Go buy a fucking Trojan. You've got access. But that's a simple answer, and nobody wants I've a simple, even, logical answer. No, I've got even cheaper birth control than that. I'm a podcaster. <laughs> that, that 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 shuts it all down, huh? If you if you have any chance, <laughs> I just just walk into the bar. Hey, baby, I'm a podcaster, and. It's end of the conversation, really. Well, but John C. Dvorak disproved that on a show. How long ago? Within the last two years where he was talking about being on a plane next to an attractive woman. And John likes to talk, which if you ever heard the podcast, you can understand he's a very interesting guy. And this woman asked him what he did. And he started with that. He was a writer and got nothing. And, you know, that's usually the go-to, right? Hey, I'm a writer. I work for PC Magazine. These things sound good. And then he mentioned that he was, you know, and more currently a podcaster or something. Because I know I remember Curry giving him crap like we're nine, ten years into this thing and you're, you're more currently a podcaster. But mm-hmm. that that sparked it, you know, and she was interested in that. So I don't know if I can say that your your concept at this point is still worthy sir bemrose a few years ago saying you're a podcaster probably got you the eyes rolled back but now with all the news being all these mega conglomerates that are throwing so much money at the you know we want to be the netflix of podcasting you know podcasting's the it thing it's just yeah. making money and finding an audience that are the hard part and yeah. uh, joe rogan just bought a five million dollar house it's working for him right yeah and well, i mean I- he's in it oh man i mean rogan it it blows my mind because i like joe rogan going back to the days of uh, 
uh, news radio. I thought he was great on news radio, and I think it's still great that he shined in that show. The one day they put him on air thinking he was going to be a rube, and he did really well, and now he's doing the same thing for for a living. But then you know, on The Man Show, and I, I saw that you actually did some writing on The Man Show, Larry. A little bit. You know, and Rogue. Oh, uh, yeah. But, you know, the the whole the fact that he can sit down and do a three hour podcast like five days a week is insane to me. I mean, just from a time standpoint, Rogan is one of the podcaster elites, though. It's bringing him up as an example. Podcaster is is, a little bit of a red herring, I think, because uh uh, when I say podcast elites, I don't just mean, oh, he's got the biggest podcast in the world. He does. And and frankly, he deserves it because I think it's a great show. But when I say podcaster elites, I mean somebody who was famous and had big name recognition well before they came to podcasting. Uh, I think that podcasting is still uh, for for a lot of celebrities and certainly for the, the Hollywood crowd. It's still a step down. Uh, I think if you you I, I mean, Larry, you were saying earlier that you know this guy was like i'm in radio well actually i'm a podcaster well that's because they still think it's a step down and and a lot of the people get into this they're like well i had a i had a really successful morning radio show that in peoria that had uh forty thousand people listening to me and now i have a worldwide podcast and and i guess you know i could have done better for myself and a lot of people don't think of it as a step up but right it it's easy to get into podcasting and suddenly have a million hits per show. If you already had a million fans, cause you came from somewhere else. Yes. If, if you're getting into podcasting and you're a nobody, then it's really hard to build up that. And oh, God, you, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean you, Corolla made that segue better than anybody. I mean, he had a pretty banging show. On an FM, a, a strong FM stick here in LA for years. I remember Corolla from the Man Show. Sure, and then when when the when the uh, the, the station changed formats, he jumped right into the podcasting thing and brought a massive audience right along and, with him. And I have massive respect for somebody who can do that because yeah. it does it represents. I mean, the biggest thing it represents from a production standpoint is getting out from underneath your corporate overlords, yeah. and I applaud that move no matter where it goes. But not everybody can do it. And and saying, oh, well, I am an extremely successful podcaster because you brought a million followers from over from a, a successful TV show is is a little disingenuous to say, well, yeah, because I'm making a lot of money in podcasting. Well, you are, but right. you you had some pretty impressive bootstraps on that one. Yep. Well, and I think the radio people haven't understood yet that radio is dying or not dying, but it's changing what people go there for. And, and Steve Dahl, who was one of the biggest radio personalities out of the Chicago area, and I think had a pretty big nationwide following talked about the fact that AM radio still doesn't understand that people have these magical devices now that they carry with them that give them <laughs> the weather that show, you know, you put ways on and it tells you when exactly you're going to get to work. It'll reroute you around traffic. If there's an accident, he's like these AM radio stations that are still doing, you know, weather every 10 minutes, traffic every 10 minutes, people aren't tuning into that because their phones are doing that for them. And the, what people want is the entertainment portion of it. And I think 
you know, for a variety of reasons. One, I don't think they renewed his contract because he was just on uh, uh, WLS here in the Chicago area for the last few years. And now he's strictly doing podcasting. But I think he's figured it out, which is if, if the people just want the entertainment, I could record this in my basement for an hour every day and call that a job. I don't need to drive to a radio station. I don't need to take commercial breaks. I don't need to do the weather. I don't need to do the traffic. I can just have the fans come directly to me, pay me a monthly subscription and everything works. And I want to make a a shout out to uh, fellow podcasters in the no gender community who are all currently active in the chat room. Uh, uh, Carolyn, who is on the hog story podcast. Hey, uh, void zero who does the Mark and George show podcast and also is, uh, the, the guy who runs these servers that we're, uh, totally abusing right now. And, and let's, uh, let's, let's be honest, sir. Bemrose void zero carries the Mark and George show. He, <laughs> he carries the no agenda oh, oh, network boy. too. And, <laughs> well, that, uh, that is true. And to the hardest working podcaster that I know. Uh, Nick the Rat, who is one of those people who started as a nobody and is still a nobody, but now he's a nobody <laughs> with a very awesome podcast in the sewer of Brooklyn. <laughs> well, well, Nick has the voice talent and, you know, he can do all these different characters and I'm still not sure. I think it will take uh, either some truth serum and getting Nick, you know, tied up to a chair, you know, to figure out which of these characters are him and if any of these things are other people doing the things, because he has a hell of a lot of talent and the, the topics that he covers are unique. They're not something that I could ever pull off, but he does these things in such an entertaining way. And he, he's still at the age where he can podcast drunk and God bless him for that, because that those days for me are probably about 20 years <laughs> gone now. <laughs> Well, I, I know exactly when I left that age, that was when hangovers started to hurt. Yes. No. Yeah. yeah. I, that was, that was the same for me. And it was, uh, unfortunately a night of drinking Booker's bourbon, which is, is not recommended for, for lightweights or for amateurs. And the, uh, the hangover lasted until the next night at like 11 PM. So, I mean, it was, it was, it was not pretty. And, and since then it's been, uh, you have to make better choices. But uh, Nick, <laughs> you can do podcasting drunk. It's very entertaining. And, and maybe at some point, Sir Bemrose and I will do a, a late night grumpy old Ben's and, and break out a bottle of Booker's and, and maybe we'll forget to turn the stream off and it'll be the longest podcast in the history of the No Agenda stream. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure that's something you want. You get me drunk and I'm, uh, it, it's going to be a whole different podcast. Let's just say uh, all the filters turn off. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't know you had filters to begin with. Well, I've the, got a big the, learning curve here because I'm really grateful Darren has introduced me to this wonderful realm. And um, it's kind of cool the way there's you, you really do find the kind of birds of a feather um, axiom, you know, bearing truth here. Because the, the more people I meet in this circle, the more I like them, the more fun I'm having. I really got to catch up on Nick's show, on on void zero and a, a ton of this stuff, but it's, it's really, thank you, Darren. This is really a cool group. You've uh, sort of dialed me into here. Hey, I kind of fell into them and uh, it's a, it's a group where you, you realize the everybody involved. And this is what uh, Adam Curry's always said. Everybody that's involved with the show. Nobody are, nobody's a listener. Everybody's a producer. Everybody adds something to the fray. 
And whether it's on the No Agenda Social, which is the the Twitter uh, equivalent that the No Agenda show uses, you know, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's in the No Agenda chat room, there's a lot of really interesting people. It's not it's anybody that you talk to in the No Agenda chat room. There's a story behind everybody, and most of them seemed that they could be, you know, spies working in foreign countries. They could be, uh, you know, hacking into a computer network as we speak. There's a lot of knowledge, a lot of really interesting characters, and uh, and overall, some of the most dedicated listeners of any podcast around, which is which is a hard thing to do. I mean, creating a community is what the No Agenda Show has become. I mean, there are podcasts that people just listen to that you don't really have that community around them. Maybe you'll meet somebody and be like, hey, oh, you listen to this show too? Cool. But the No Agenda community, when they do meetups and stuff like that, is just a, uh, it's a wild group. It's a very diverse group. And, and they get, the No Agenda show gets a bad rap from some people like, oh, well, you're just a Trump apologist or something like that. But they look at what the media is doing. And by, def- by default, that's what the No Agenda show is. They look at what the media is doing and they call bullshit when they're lying, when they're misleading or doing anything like that, which lately has been 99% against Trump. So covering that aspect of it, you, you kind of have to bring that into it or the show would be gone. But uh, I think shows like that are real. It's interesting to me that such a big community has been built around a podcast that's telling you why the mainstream media is full of crap. Right. But right. it's a necessary community, I think, sir. Ben oh, Rose. it sure is. You know, and, and this is this is where the you know the interesting stuff comes in. And there's you know there's some great entertainment. Like you know, Nick does a great show. We, there's uh, you know Mark and George talk about a whole bunch of different things. If they could ever figure out what topics they want to talk about, you always have well, to they, have. They they are figuring out what topics they want to talk about live on the air. It's <laughs> <laughs> the best time. Hey, you know everything is everything is a uh, everything's a bit everything's a topic. You don't want to waste anything off show. That's you know, so what true. I, I don't know about you guys, but since I started doing this a couple of years ago, my life has become uh, everything. I'm watching every third thing. Is this material? <laughs> you right, are you making notes at the time, or you have yeah. a little voice recorder? Or... Yeah, you you were talking about the no agenda. I think I I want to. I just wanted to add. I I think they're cheating because they they've decided to claim for themselves analysis of popular of of the mainstream me- news media mm-hmm. and that's that's like saying well you know I want my salt water from the ocean <laughs> well you know where the lies are coming from you're saying <clears throat> well which is an interesting thing and I mean that's a whole nother topic too it's in, when I was a kid and again I'm not super old but I'm getting there when I turned on the news, it didn't matter if it was ABC, NBC, CBS, or, you know, I lived through the beginning of the cable news era with, you know, Ted Turner and, you know, this, uh, this whole new concept in 24 hour news cycle. But I don't remember as a kid ever thinking, well, this is all bullshit. Yeah. And I remember the, the, the birth of the, the real birth of the 24 hour news cycle was, uh, was CNN coming online and saying, we are going to do a news program 24 seven. And uh, if you recall the thing that, that launched CNN into real prominence amongst uh, the whole world was uh, the first Iraq war back in uh, 91. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wasn't really old enough to really understand 24 uh, seven news coverage back then. 
But the only thing that I knew for sure was that CNN completely ruined my ski vacation because the, the operation desert shield started the day that we went out and then suddenly CNN was piping in fresh shots of bombs hitting sand 24 seven. And my dad would not ever stop watching. And, <laughs> and, and he didn't want to go out on the ski slopes. He didn't want to go out to dinner with us. It was like, he'd may as well not have shown up. And, yeah. and you know, I, I have plenty of reasons why I can resent my father for a lot of things, but he's dead now. So I'm not allowed to, to say them anymore. Uh, but I really resent CNN because it, <laughs> well, I, I, at the time, because, oh my God, my, my whole vacation was ruined, but that colored the way I look at it. And I think that it probably is one of the big things that drove me away from the, the mass media news cycle is I realized, you know what, it, the, all they're showing is the same pictures over and over again. And, and yeah, they're flashy, but why is this the only thing that's worth paying attention to? And and I think that ever since then, I've looked at this like, okay, these people are actually just here for the ratings and they're not here for trying to inform people. They're not here to do a useful community service. They're just trying – it's the same as all marketing. They're just trying to grab eyeballs and hold on to them. Right. And the question is, is it worthy of your interest? I mean, we're all old enough to remember a time where you would just go out, you're playing with your friends, you didn't have a cell phone, you weren't connected to the internet – what is this doing to the society today? What's it doing to kids today, Larry, that they have this nonstop barrage of information that we simply didn't have? We just went out, and played, we had fun. We didn't have to yeah. worry about, you know, going on to Twitter or going on to Instagram and seeing the world's ending in 12 years because the planet's melting down. Right. Uh, you know, it's. You're right. It, it's changed, but I, you, you said something that, that uh, <clears throat> made me think of watching television with my father as a kid and my uncles and so forth. And I can remember them railing against Dan Rather and uh, a couple of other talking heads at that time. And I think what it what what it's happened is they've always been in the tank uh, for their for their their private agendas or their 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 uh, as you would say hive mentality thought process, uh, Sir Bemrose, but they've just become so in your face. Now they've taken off the mask. They don't give a shit. They're going to be upfront and, uh, about how they feel. And that's really where it's turned the corner. Um, I think, I think the corner's really been turned. I, I mean, it's, it's been turning for a while. This thing doesn't yeah. move fast, but, but the, the greatest change I've seen was the introduction of the, the Trump era. Cause I think when we were children, the, the news I mean, if you look closely, they were biased, of course, because yeah. everybody always has an opinion and there's always somebody behind them that has an opinion who's giving them money to push that opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, but but it, it hasn't been since it, – it's only been since the Trump era that you've actually seen people on on news stations that made their name and news, news outlets that created their name by being – the impartial source of factual information. And now you have people talking heads and writers on these who are going out and, and cheering for one side. And you know, with, with the, when the dossier came out from the Mueller thing and they're 
cheering saying, well, I really hope that there's something really juicy in there that we can impeach Trump with. Well, yeah. that's not impartial. That's not even close. You've dropped the pretense entirely, like you said. Yeah. yeah it's pretty scary stuff. And what, what the, the, the really frightening part of it is that there's a, a generation or two that has never seen uh, the, the other side of it. And they're, you know, they're watching this and thinking, oh, this is, this is journalism. You know, it's it's so funny. Journalism is is so dead. I think it was at several yeah. big name universities. Was it Emerson and Ohio State? It's, it's, it's quite a handful of some pretty big players in that realm have dropped the entire course of studies because it's why. You know, oh, jur- uh, journalism is is the you know uh, buggy drivers and exactly and, yeah you know people who manufacture products that nobody uses anymore. Journalists yeah. in in the age of the internet, there's people can get facts everywhere it's the one thing the internet is really good at well they can get no wait they can facts. get they can get lies everywhere yeah, they can get information everywhere but can they no, really they, get you, facts everywhere yeah yes yes as soon as you take your your facts and you filter them through sturgeon's law <laughs> <laughs> so that's what the, 90, the 90 some odd percent uh, 90 percent of everything is shit yes and and once you've once you, you can, but you have facts at your fingertips. Uh, I I was out last night with some friends, and we were we were playing a card game at a bar. And there was one point where there was a question about the rules of the card game, and suddenly there were seven people at the table, and six phones popped out, oh. and everybody suddenly starts staring at the phones to look up online internet forums. Uh, you know, the, the Steve Jackson.com, whatever the, the game was munchkin bitch, which by the way is amazing. Uh, and I'm sitting here and my phone is in my pocket, in my jacket uh, next to me. And I'm like, I, uh, you know, I contemplated not even bringing the stupid thing because I don't want to talk to anybody while I'm out here, but that's, that's just the way. I mean, so people have information, uh, <laughs> but it's it, it's what do you do with that information now is the real trick because we've certainly improved our access to information but we haven't improved our access to people that is no. that's true i think the internet has become really uh if you if you put a biblical spin on it it's a it's a digital tower of babel and uh i think that um you know what's what's caused this what why how did we get to where we are and it's pretty much uh, concurrent with the uptick in, in the digital realm and social media. I think, I think there's, it's a real, um, I, you know, on the one hand, Hey, we're here. We are, we're doing this right now. It's fun. I wouldn't have known Darren without social media, making some new friends. It's great. But on the other hand, Jesus Christ, I think it really is fucking up the world, um, in, in terrible ways. People are angrier. People are actually less informed. People are will. You talk about echo chambers. People are willfully ignorant now. They really are. It's I'm only, I'm, only, I'm the, the mindset is I'm only going to go where I'm going to. And thanks to this, um, this uh, medium, they can do that. Well, yeah, it's easy to find people that are like minded, and it really I, there's. We had a conversation the other day about the whole gotcha journalism where. You know, the the guys from the right like to go into these um, the progressive rallies and ask questions. And you can always find people that have no idea what they're doing there. I think you can do that on both sides. So I don't necessarily find that to be a great sense of journalism. I find it to be a great sense of entertainment. But the concept 
is exactly kind of what you're talking about here, Larry, is that there are people that will go out, they'll hold up signs, they'll march around, they think they're passionate about a cause. You ask them a question about that cause and they give you a blank stare with the, uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And what does that say? You know, I mean, what does that say about where we are right now? Yeah. And I and I think sure. the bottom line is nobody is, you don't have to have the knowledge. You just have to be told what to do. It's an emotional thing. If you can trigger somebody emotionally, they'll go out and this, this whole climate change thing, this whole, you know, the Jesse Smollett thing in Chicago, I think is very, very interesting. Um, especially being able to watch it just here right outside of Chicago to see what's going on where you have a mayor and a police department that are going, well, no, you did this. And this guy's going, well, no, I still claim I'm innocent. When the police department is releasing the documents and then being scoffed at, you know, being, you know, kind of slapped down for it. It's really kind of bizarre when you look at it in the prism of what's going on with the Mueller investigation, which everybody going, we want all the information. We want everything. So the left wants all that information. But the minute the Chicago police release all of their information, it's like, no, 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 you can't do that. No. <laughs> well, you know, that was one of my favorite episodes of your show, Darren one where you got into that in pretty in depth about the power of communication on a factual basis versus the emotional. And it's a, it, there's no contest, none. And, and that really is, is what's driving um, the, the American political system. Now is if facts are, are moot. It's just how do you, how does somebody or something or some side make me feel? And those who can pluck those heartstrings or the rage strings or whatever the emotion they want to play on more skillfully are going to be in power. Really? Right. And if you look at what the left has been doing, everything they want is for the children and everything the right wants. What is everything the white, the right wants? It's hate speech, right? Right. Yeah. You said facts are moot, but it's actually worse than that. Facts are malleable. Yeah. Facts are facts are whatever somebody says, uh, you know, if for for a recent example in the last couple of years, uh, look at this Russia thing. Trump colluded with Russia. That was a fact. That was a fact everywhere you went. People believed it. People were certain of it. And if if you were you know watching, paying attention to it at the very beginning, and you kind of followed it back, you realize that this this was originally a fabrication, but it was reinforced so much that. It, it was just true. Everybody said it was true. Everybody assumed it was true. Everybody sure. talked like it was true. And if you do that enough, it's a true fact, whether or not it started that way. Uh, and and just in case you don't, you think I'm picking on the left. Uh, you know, all you have to do is go back another ten years, and uh, uh, you know, Iraq is hiding uh, weapons of mass destruction. Oh. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, I, you know, I remember watching. Sides. <laughs> I remember watching Colin Powell give a PowerPoint presentation on that. And I, I, I remember I, I turned to my wife. I said, is this, is this fucking guy out of his mind? This is the most idiotic, childish shit. I mean, an imbecile wouldn't believe what he was saying. It was, it was completely porous and stupid. But, but, but there it was. But, <laughs> people will believe it if, if they're told it enough times. Yeah. Yeah. And and the real, I mean, the real thing about the media is that they're not there to report facts. They're there to tell a narrative. Yes. And if if the narrative requires that people believe that there are WMDs in Iraq or that people believe that Trump colluded with Russia, well, then 
by God, that's what happened. And sure. anybody who doubts it, you just need to tell them over and over again until they're, they don't even believe themselves anymore. Sure. Well, it's well, you, all, you mentioned Jussie in your town there, Darren. And, um, I had an argument with my wife over this and she, when this whole thing blew up and she said, oh, he's dead. He's finished. It's over. I says, no, he's not. No, he's not. And I think I'm, I'm going to be proven right here. You listening? Uh, this, this guy, what's happened is, you know, it's, you know, in in just a few, maybe even months or just a couple of years, uh, the, the details are going to get fuzzy in the, in the memory of, of most people. This guy will get other roles. He'll be, uh, some, some people will, will make him, you know, heroic and, uh, he'll go on and he'll, he'll make more money. He'll remain as a, you know, a, a Hollywood fixture. Um, because that's how it works. There's always another big thing happening. It's not even a 24, I don't know, do they still call it a 24 hour news cycle? It's not, it's like an eight minute news cycle now. I mean, Jesus, I can't believe when when I logged on this morning, I checked Twitter, Chuck Berry's dead. He's not even trending. (laughs) This guy's one of the fathers of rock and roll for Christ's sake. And he's forgotten. He's not even cold. You know, you know, it's a, uh, are you sure you're not from the future, Larry? (laughs) You could be. I actually, I thought Chuck Berry died a few years ago, so I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't know where we're actually going. But you know, I, the, the weird thing about where we are as a society didn't, right now, which Don McLean make a song about that. Well, maybe, but you know, I don't think that I don't think Jesse should be shunned from being an actor. I mean, obviously, he's a good actor. He has people believing him, whether this is true or whether it's not. You know, either way, he he's putting on an act. But I don't understand why people like Kevin Spacey, like, oh, we can't play a show anymore. We have to pull this. You know, it's all very weird that the artwork, I think, kind of uh, steps away from the actor. And I don't necessarily believe that anything, you know, Kevin Spacey's been in should now be shunned because there were allegations against him, which, again, nothing's been proven against him. Sure. And it's... It, it, you bring up a, a whole. You just wandered into the the Me Too topic and oh, yeah. and the oh god the the fact that Hollywood cannot separate their actors' politics from their shows anymore and uh, you know the stuff like the Lear Foundation putting political narratives into TV shows and Hollywood is just eating it up, going yeah yeah we need to push people toward climate change and and vaccines and and make sure that the things that our political overlords are pushing have to be in every TV show. And of course it's all about money, but I'm I'm watching this and thinking uh, they, they don't even have the self-awareness. Hollywood does not even have the self-awareness to realize that by putting together shows that say outright in the dialogue, well, president Trump is a buffoon. And suddenly they're alienating half the country. Well, less than half, according to the popular vote theory, but they don't even realize that they are damaging their own reputation by following one half of the narrative so much to the letter that they're completely, I mean, out of touch is the word. And uh, I'm looking forward to the day when. Uh, the entire Hollywood political system, uh, it, like Hollywood itself, just collapses under the weight of obsolescence because people suddenly realize that there's these, these are not, this is not good information. It's not good entertainment. And 
hey, I've got podcasts. And you know, when that day comes, I'm going to be there with popcorn. <laughs> I, I don't think Hollywood cares. You know, they're, they are so insulated. There is so much in their own bubble and they're aware that, that, uh, they'll be alienating, alienating vast portions of an audience, but they don't give a shit. You know, look at this broad that did this, uh, what was this captain America thing? You know, that's, that's great. More audience for podcasters. Yeah. But yes. I mean, she, there, there she is. And she starts dissing, uh, you know, 40, 40 old guys. Did you see her, 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 uh, her you know, video clip? She's at some awards ceremony and bitching about, you know, I don't give a fuck if you like this movie or not. It's not made for you if you're some 40 year old guy. Like, hey, hey, sweetheart. I, I for one, uh, a lot I of 40 year old guys say- taking their kids to see your stupid fucking movie. Um, <laughs> really? Um, you're right. But, but, but I, for one, am proud to say that I, I don't watch award shows. I don't either. <laughs> okay. Um But as, I saw as that. As long clip as we're clear, you're watch. not some kind of closet Hollywood fetishist, are you? <laughs> Who, me? <laughs> you are in LA. I am in LA, but, uh, and, and I'm sorry for that, but go on. So am I. <laughs> but the weather's great. You can't beat it. <laughs> well, well, that is the short sightedness of all this where, you know, when these, the people that say, I, I'm the, I don't want you, your group to be watching my movies. It makes, it makes yeah. absolutely no sense. It does. I mean, I thought all uh, these people wanted the biggest possible, uh, you know, uh, the biggest take, I would think. I mean, if you want to be the biggest movie star out there, you have to be able to attract a little bit of everybody. Well, and I'm sure the, somewhere somewhere in the back office, there's a bean counter who is looking at this and just tearing his hair out going, You're, we want to make more money. It doesn't make sense to be alienating these people. But but like you said, the uh, the producers and the writers and the actors especially, oh my God, the actors, so big heads, every one of them. Um, they're the ones who they really don't care. No. Well, and it's the concept of turning all of this stuff on its head. Doctor Who, which is a sci-fi show that ran 50 plus years, finally decided. Well, running. Why no? Kind of. We need a kind woman of. doctor. And yes, which was fine. But it's like, here's a, a thing that doesn't make sense to me is that for the history of the show, not only has the doctor always been male, he's always been a white guy. And he's always been from the UK or Scotland. I mean, couldn't you maybe diversify a little bit somewhere, but now all of a sudden he can be anything, the doctor, which is great. Um, but then the show turned into a social that justice warrior platform. Yeah. Well, that's the problem. I was going to say for, for the show itself. And I, I do watch the show uh, for the show itself. That works in the narrative. I don't have any problem with uh, oh, look, you know, after, you know, 15 regenerations and all of this weird genetic stuff going on because they just keep stretching him out longer and longer. Right. That, okay. Well, suddenly one of the chromosomes got switched to an X. Okay. You know what? That's if, if that's the line where you draw unbelievability in the show, Dr. Who, then you're not watching it. Right. <laughs> you're but absolutely it, right. The the people around it who decide that this is suddenly a platform to push their political ideology, that's that's a problem. Right. I mean, that's the you can have some of these episodes and they always have that try to do with, you know, morality and all of that. But you, you totally everybody that was a part of the show kind of left. It was a new showrunner and they really went hard in the preachy thing. And I like television shows for entertainment. There are podcasts. There are new shows that I'll pick out for their politics. But I certainly don't go to a science fiction show 
as my go-to tell me what I should believe and tell me what uh, you know what my you know not only what my beliefs should be but if I'm not doing it right you're going to to preach at me but this whole exactly. thing yes and, and, and anybody this- who wants anybody who wants to be preached at and be told what their political beliefs are they need to pick up that Larry show and random thoughts <laughs> exactly we can we can do all the programming for years don't worry it's everything is absolutely truthful um but the fact it's great that doctor who can become a woman and it's great that all of these things should be open but then you start opening up other questions for me which were like well then how come cinderella can't be a guy you know there's a lot of these uh female Give characters you know time. you know you could you can do that but the thing this is this whole sense of everybody is equal and everybody should have an equal right to do things i'm behind but it progresses to something which an article i just read this morning the the notre dame women's basketball coach in a recent interview and i think it's great her name is muffet mcgraw muffet mcgraw which is a great name i mean that should be maybe a bond villain or something like that yes but in a recent I, interview, I, I would watch that Bond film. <laughs> it's Muffet McGraw. In a recent interview, she told Think Progress, so we know what they're looking for. Uh, she, <laughs> it's right there in the name. But she said the 63 year old Hall of Fame coach said she would never hire another male assistant coach and believed women can do more to help each other. When asked if she ever planned on hiring another male coach, she said, no, women need the opportunity. They deserve the opportunity. Then she went on, do you know that the Equal Rights Amendment was introduced in 1967 and it hasn't passed? We need 38 states to agree that discrimination on the basis of sex is unconstitutional. (laughs) She just said she wouldn't hire a man. (laughs) I mean, what the fuck? What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. I I just don't get it. It's like, okay, so you're, you're, you're in the same interview. Well, the Equal Rights Amendment didn't pass. You can't discriminate on the basis of sex. And but somebody then asks you, would you ever hire another male coach? No. So I suspect I don't have to ask you what you think of this uh, recent California law that uh, requires that all corporations have more women on their board than men. That's a thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. Yep. <sighs> wow. Um speechless and i'm not i'm not normally yeah equal rights as long as as the one group that has historically been considered underprivileged has more equal rights than the majority group who are the people that we're allowed to discriminate against yes sure i don't get it i have to be missing something there because i mean what this is where you start having problems rather than going the best person that is suited for the job having to then go to we need to hire minorities one of the greatest things i saw the other day was when they were talking about um having the trans and all this into the military and they were saying well if you don't accept them that's you're you're being you know you you're trampling upon their rights and the answer from whatever general whoever this was was the army you know the, the armed forces has never been about taking everybody the armed forces have been specifically about taking people capable of doing the job. I mean, I had a heart condition as a kid, wouldn't have taken me. I was over six foot tall, couldn't be a pilot in the Air Force. Uh, if you have flat feet, not going to take you. You got crappy eyes, they're not going to take you. You have a problem with your equilibrium, they're not going to take you. You're colorblind like Sir Bemrose, not going to take you. So oh, the well, Thanks for outing me as, as, well, as a disabled n- person. Nice. Well, <laughs> 
You may be disabled, but not for that. But this is the place where, you know, going towards like, not everybody can be forced into you can't always force a square peg into a round hole in a lot of what these new programs are trying to do in the in the guise of, you know, equal rights or equality. Just that's what they're trying to do. And I really feel bad for, you know, people that, you know, women, especially women that have daughters with all of this stuff that happened where, you know, well, the this you know, 40 year old guy who sees himself as a woman is showering in the gym women's bathroom because that's what he thinks he should be doing. And they don't want to offend him. They don't want to be inappropriate, Larry. They don't want to offend him and, and say, no, you can't do that. But for all of these people that are pushing these things, it's the rights of everybody else that gets kind of thrown out of the way. And I worry about the safety for women when you have any guy that wants to just say, oh, well, I, I feel like I'm a trans and I, I this is the way I feel today. So I'm going to go into your locker room or your bathroom and it's just not good. Well, OK, so not to completely dismiss the the problems that that people who are transitioning encounter in our society because there is a lot of bigotry out there and there is a lot of problems but at the same time there's you, you don't you, <laughs> you lose my sympathy the moment you fall into the snowflake trap the the I should have equal rights to everybody and I should have more rights than you because I'm special the snowflake trap I like that And you're absolutely right there. You, you, these, all these laws are about a protecting everybody. And once you really start trying to uh, single any one little group out, you're going to have problems, aren't you? Well, that's the idea is, uh, you know, we, we take our group and make them more special than your group. The whole idea of hate crimes. Okay, that's exactly what that is. It doesn't it doesn't protect anybody from anything. All it does is elevate one group above another. That's what it, that's what the hate crime idea does. Well, and and just to be clear, it elevates uh, uh, one group above white men. That's really what you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, any group. Um it's yeah. absurd. It really is. But, you know, in our Orwellian world, what you're talking about here Darren is, you know, the new speak um, it, everything's upside down and, and truth is dead, man. It's just, you know, when people say, people say they have their personal truth. I love that. <laughs> My personal truth. Yeah. Well, I'm Napoleon Bonaparte. If you disagree, fuck you. I'm suing you. Right. Well, yeah. When you're seeing you, people are using the wrong pronoun, that's a thing in California, right. I guess. And then you're going to, you're going to be sued for that or put into jail for that. And this again comes down to the fact where speech is being limited you're being told what you either have to say, you know, which is even worse, I think, than being told what you can't say is, well, here's what you have to say. Yeah. Well, that that very argument is uh, is the thing that caused Jordan Peterson to be somebody that that people became aware of. Right. When when Canada started to pass a law that said you have to say this, and he said, no, I'm not going to, and and yeah. suddenly, oh my God, just just he. He didn't even, there wasn't even an incident. He didn't do anything. He didn't, no. he didn't, uh, there, there was no event where he offended. No, he just said, well, I'm not going to do that. And suddenly became a total pariah to the entire concept of the social justice. Well, this is where He's you are. With enemy with that. He is. Oh, 
Yeah. And this is where you are when speech becomes weaponized. And this is comes down to it started with the bullying. It goes with all of the with the concept of everybody gets a trophy. And this goes into the Sir Bemro snowflake theory, which is we can't give somebody a an award, although they still give awards on in these big you know movie things and all that. But this went back to my my nephew who's 25 now, when he was graduating from junior high, so about a decade ago, he would have been the valedictorian, but this was the first year that his junior high figured that having a valedictorian would be really bad because the other kids would feel bad that they weren't the best in the class. Right. I'm like, shouldn't they feel bad that they weren't the best? Shouldn't they try harder as they move on to to the next step? And when all of this stuff came out, if you have anybody that believes in this, everybody should get a trophy, we're all equal and we we want to make this big socialist utopia paradise. I have a thing I, that I, I go. Yeah. Yes, Sir Bemmer. I, I'm I, oh, I'm amazed that that they actually still think that works because what the the everybody gets a trophy movement was started in what the the 90s, the 2000s. Uh, where we decided that back in little league and soccer, everybody, even even the kid who stood out in the outfield in right field during the entire baseball game, spinning circles with his mid on his head, still gets a trophy for participation. And we did that. We did that 20 years ago. And you know what we have now? We have a bunch of adult snowflakes who are all entering the workforce and and Congress. Well, and Congress. I'll tell you what, it's it's so funny how it eventually bites themselves, bites the the authors in the ass. Um, you guys familiar with the um, the uh, Theranos scam up in uh, Silicon Valley? There's an HBO movie about it. Right? Yeah, yeah, I heard the, about that. The on fake a, drug company. Yeah, recently. yeah, I did a I did a show on it uh, uh, last episode. Yeah, um, <laughs> called how to how to succeed at scamming. And there's great this, show, by the way. Well, thank you. But there's this broad named Elizabeth Holmes, and she was a Stanford dropout, and she had this wacky dream about um let's let's do away with conventional blood testing where they draw a vial after vial after of blood and then send it to a big lab and you know 200 different tests to figure out how your cholesterol is and if you've got syphilis and you know on and on and on and her her idea was let's let's make a little box about the size of a suitcase that can that can accomplish all this and she conned you know, so many people like George Schultz, former Secretary of State, and and Bill Clinton, and she got Rupert Murdoch to give her 125 million bucks. She got um, uh, Walgreens to duke her 150 mil. You know, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. And nobody, well, I shouldn't say nobody. A few guys said to her, and one woman, I might add, said, "Are you out of your fucking mind? <laughs> what you're suggesting is like saying, well, let's." Let's can somebody build a magic carpet and we can jump on it and ride to the moon. So we can do that. We have the technology for that, don't we? And and I lay the blame for this broad and her con job right at the feet of the participation trophy culture because at her age bracket and where she's from, nobody ever said to her, "You're stupid and your idea is stupid. Get the fuck out." I mean, but she wasn't stupid because she monetized the hell out of this, which she is the scary yeah, she, part. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, she wasn't stupid. She was. Well, that, that doesn't speak to her intelligence so much as her charisma and her. Guile. Exactly. Exactly. 
which again points and, right to AOC yeah, and, and Congress. And and you can, right. I mean, you yes, can succeed does. on charisma and guile a oh, long bullshit. way. Oh yeah, yeah. And I, I think that it, you know the entire thing. I, I would actually consider a good thing is is a lesson in human fallibility. And you know, the real joke is on all these investors. And I would hope that they learned something. But in a lot of cases, I don't know that they did. No. No. And and I got to admit, if I were, say, an investor in Walgreens, I'd be pretty pissed at the company for that. Well, as I said, I mean, I'd, I'd think twice. I mean, if that's the intellectual firepower in the executive suites at Walgreens, I'd think long and hard before I'd have them fill even a simple prescription for me. I really would. Well, yeah, the, the incompetence that's out there, but... Just rolling back quickly to the my concept on this whole everybody gets a trophy and socialism thing. If anybody that believes this can work and we can all be equal, I always go back to the, you know, but you can't screw X. So, I mean, everybody has, you know, who they think the hottest, you know, actress model, whatever it is. You know, for years, for me, it was Adriana Lima and it, the Victoria's oh, Secret right. model, who's still beautiful to this day, somehow can, somehow seems to uh, only get hotter as she ages, which is yes, maybe she's an alien. Darren, she is the pointiest of the pointing. We're in total agreement. <laughs> that no is one pointier than her. And that is a Larry I, Show I just, term, the, a pointy think, chick. Yeah. Um, I, but, I haven't heard this term. Well, Larry can explain it best. What is a pointy chick? Uh, a pointy chick? Well, Adriana Lima may be the queen of them, but um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a term I coined a long time ago single and there's a certain look to a certain style of women that i think drives most men insane and that is if you look at them just about everything with the exception of maybe their ass comes to a point you know their 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 feet their shoes their fingertips the corners of their eyes they have a very feline look to them which i term pointy and uh, i i could see that yeah yeah and so I, I, I mean, I, I mean, actually, I, I wouldn't know because I'm actually only allowed to have eyes for my wife. Yes, <laughs> I know you're listening. Well, so now we know at least one of the listeners is Dame Bemrose. Hello, Dame Bemrose. But my whole concept with the socialism and everybody gets a trophy thing was it was knocked down in one simple way. For me, it was not everybody gets to fuck Adriana Lima. <laughs> and that's where go. socialism breaks down because you can say we're all equal. And yeah. you can say everybody should get, you know, a house and everybody should get this and this and this. It has to stop somewhere. And then what's the currency of the day and how, you know, there's a whole nother podcast into that. But to me, that's the one thing that just breaks down the everybody gets a trophy or the socialism thing is not everybody gets to screw who they want to screw. So true. that'd be a hell of a trophy. <laughs> it would be a hell of a trophy. Yes. but and, and I think I also nailed down why you spend so much time on Twitter. That's where all the that's where all the Adriana Limas are. Well, that's now it's Instagram, which I, I yeah. and I don't get Instagram. I open I don't up get Instagram. That either. You know, I don't. It, it's all noise. I mean, just like Twitter is all noise. Instagram, I've opened up every once in a while on the iPad. I'll open up Instagram. I'll look at it for like two minutes, and I get really, really tired of seeing an ad every third image. Uh, I get really tired of seeing Gary Vaynerchuk. I could maybe just unfollow him, but he puts out more content. He may put out more content than Joe Rogan, which is really, really tough. And you know, some of it's still seeing, if you're still seeing ads on the internet, I can show you how to set up a pie hole. I do have a pie hole and it doesn't work on the Instagram app. I don't mm -hmm. know why. We'll have to look into that though, because that is, Who is Gary Vayner. Gary Vaynerchuk. Guy? What's that? 
You see that sneaker guy you talked about in an he, early show? Right. Well, he put out a pair of sneakers. This is a guy that started out in Jersey that his family owned a liquor store. I mean, it really wasn't even a big liquor store. It was a normal size liquor store that he went, started managing, built this thing up, and he didn't want to go to work for his dad. When he was 13 years old, he claims that he was selling baseball cards and he was going to local shows you know, in the New Jersey malls or wherever they were every few weeks. He's like, at 13 years old, I forget how many thousands of dollars he said he had under his bed in a, like a, in a, in a suit, in a little, uh, you know, like shoebox or something because of the money he was making selling baseball cards. He's like, I was making thousands of dollars every show. And he was really good at getting his friends to obviously trade them and sell them the baseball cards that he knew he could make money on. But he is like the ultimate uh, entrepreneur that he took his parents' liquor store, went online with it, and made it into Wine Library TV. He started doing videos in the very early days of YouTube, doing wine uh, reviews and stuff like that, really grew. He now, not only is his wine business blown up, but he owns VaynerMedia, which is doing tons of business for like Fortune, you know, the top fortune company, not just fortune 500, but the top fortune hundred top, you know, 10 companies out there. I read somewhere that he went into (laughs) self-help. Well, which is everything he does, but he puts out a ton of content and he has people, you you know, following him around and he puts tons and tons of videos out. And he's a guy that started out with nothing. I mean, he's really one of the ultimate rags to riches stories. And if you want to talk, he doesn't talk politics a lot, but he talks enough about having, he's like, if you want to know pressure, have a father. They came from a Belarus when he was a kid. Mm. So his father grew up in Belarus. He's like, if you want to, if you want to talk about having a demanding father, he's like, when my dad told me no more baseball cards, you're coming to work at the store. He's like, you don't say no to a dad from Belarus, you know? And he, they've seen what the Soviet Union was. They've seen what communism and socialism does. And he's been a guy that obviously totally embraced the concept of capitalism and has grown from nothing to, you know, multi-million dollars. He wants to buy the New York Jets. That's his lifelong goal. And I believe he will get there. When I start following him, he was a guy that was showing up in Vegas at one of these, um, things where podcasters get together and he was talking about being intimidated at meeting the guys like Leo Laporte and Kevin Rose that were on tech TV back in the day. And uh, now he's doing a little bit better than they are. Yeah. You know, so it's an, it's an amazing story, but that just shows you that, uh, you know, capitalism works and he's a guy that's put hundreds, if not thousands of people to work because he's created different companies and he's done, you know, side jobs with all these different people like K-Swiss when they put out the, the shoes. And of course there've been some hiccups along the way, but he's, he's written a bunch of books and uh, you know, he gets well, what people can he do for us. Damn it. That's well, that guy in our case, I, I'm telling you, you can get, if you want him to like do your show and stuff at this point, I think you have to buy like $50,000 worth of his oh. wine, which I can drink wine, but, uh, <laughs> but that's a lot of wine. Oh, but that's so, his latest project. Is so he has a at, new winery at, at the at the quality of wine that I drink. Fifty thousand dollars is going to keep me drunk for a long time. <laughs> really? I'm, I'm super. I'm a two buck chuck man myself. Yeah. 
Yeah. Which is, uh, you know, I'm not big into wine. My mom likes, you know, we, it's an easy thing for presents. You get a good bottle and her favorite baseball player was Tom Seaver. So we were very devastated to hear that he's going into dementia and all that. But Uh. since he's retired, he's been running a very small winery in California, putting out a very small, you know, if if you're going to call anything small batch, that's uh, what his winery does. We're even being able to buy it at this point. You have to get on their mailing list and you have to wait a while. You know, we finally got on there to where being able to buy three bottles, you know, was a big thing. It's just that limited in their like $150 bottle uh, stuff. So, I mean, it's very good stuff, but it makes for it very easy now. Mother's Day gift, birthday gift. It's it's a bottle of Tom Seaver wine and it's easy shopping. It's something she'd never buy for herself. And uh, but these are the kind of things, hey, if you want to reinvent your life, you know, Tom Seaver, obviously going into wine, did good. Gary Vaynerchuk went from being, an, you know, a kid selling baseball cards to, uh, you know, controlling this huge media empire. You know, America is the place where people used to come to succeed. You didn't, wasn't come to this country to be treated like every schmuck working at McDonald's. Right. And I don't know where we, I, where we lost that. Oh, I'm, I'm just wondering how much Gary paid you for that native ad. <laughs> not enough but if we can send this to him if he'll write a check i will put it right through to the no agenda show i i'm i'm sure that'll be a pre- actually john probably has a bunch of stories about gary yeah well yeah they know they did uh, interact quite a bit because that's you know again when gary that when he started out uh you know and it's and it's funny because i know he was intimidated even though gary is a guy that seems like he could talk the ear off of uh you know, every, anybody a that, I mean, the guy just keeps talking. You know, if you think I talk a lot, you know, I, I'm nothing compared to Gary Vaynerchuk because I bet he puts out, you know, maybe a couple hours a day of content, it seems, or maybe he's just doing some creative editing now. Hmm. Got to check this guy out. Yeah. He's definitely worth checking out. And, and people, if they want to check out Larry's show, the, the best thing to do, what is to go to that Larry show.com. ThatLarryShow.com, home of the Take No Shit Dojo. If, if if you're taking too much shit in your life at school, at work, at home, wherever, that's really the underpinnings of my show. And it works. And I like the the Sinner Sunday, which is every two weeks now. Um, as growing up a good Irish Catholic boy <laughs> and, and then becoming just completely uh, aggravated with the church as a whole. You know, I've always you know thought again. You go look for the logic. You go look at the book. You go look at the Bible. Nowhere does it say create a church, get people to come in weekly, and give you money. No, no, it's a pretty good scam. Oh, it's a great scam. You know, it's a great scam, and anything once it gets yes, and and once it gets organized, things kind of go poorly. So it was one. I mean, I remember we were in Florida on vacation, my wife and I with my parents, and it was the first time I had been in a a church in a while. And the, the whole concept of the homily the priest gave was, you know, about the capital, you know, money and this, the church shouldn't be a part of this, this, and this. And, and, you know, the whole gospel was Jesus knocking over the carts in the church because people were selling stuff. And literally they went right from the homily into the messages that the person came up to give for, you know, here's what's going on this week in church. And it's like, well, outside today will be our bake sale. And I'm like, holy crap. I know. I've had that same experience many times. It's, it's insane. You know, it's insane. And something clicks in your head at that point that goes, you're not listening to yourself. Right. 
Well, I started Sinner Sunday because of what I call the corporate God providers, you know, the guys with the glass and marble palaces. And they're not just Christian. They're, there's a lot of them, you know, scattered around in different faiths. But, it's, but if, you, if you take the Christian uh, story, you know, the, the single most uh, distorted, twisted character in all of history is, is JC. I mean, they've just ruined him from what he what he had to have been. They've turned him into this sunken chested, whispery manlet. And you know, the guy had to have been a charm bomb to, to, you know, to, to curry favor with his, as, as he has. Right. He, so, he had, his charm was probably up there with Elizabeth Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> Even better, maybe. Yeah. Um, I, I got to admit, I, I had given the, the sinner Sunday a pass because I kind of avoid things with religious overtones, but, uh, but after talking to you, I realized that uh, your take on it is probably not going to be all that evangelical. It's not. It's not. I get some. I get some heat from people who are, you know, very, much, uh, you know, of the uh, the hardline faith, and that's okay. And what's been very interesting in in doing Sinner Sunday is some of the most uh, vocal fans of this show are Jewish, which is really cool. And I can't quite figure that out, but but that's how it's been working. Well, and you're a master at telling stories, and you do a really good job with that. And in looking back on a lot of this stuff, and again, I went to a Catholic high school, all boys Catholic high school. Which I was, did too. You know, it's this; these things form you in ways that you can just never kind of, kind of get away from. But everything you write, everything you were ever taught was, you know, the Jesus that was turned the other cheek, and the stories that were all homogenized down to the point to where uh, one of your recent Sinner Sundays, which was basically like, you know, Jesus was a badass, you know, and this is just the way people aren't looking at things, but that was such a different time that uh, the way you just kind of take these things and bring them into today's light just really works for me from an Irish Catholic boy who, who kind of thought the church sucked, but I've never was like, I'm not religious. I was just like, well, I'm not going to church. Right. Exactly. Yeah, there's no way to uh, there's no reason to abandon the underpinnings, but sure, the way they've dressed it up and chopped it and channeled it has come pretty well, silly. The, the the teachings, the reason why religion was so popular, it, it it wasn't entirely a scam. Somebody would in all of history, people have been smart. Somebody would have probably figured out that it was a scam if that was all it is. But the the teachings behind the religions are the really basic things that allow humans to function in society be yes. nice to each other love thy neighbor you know the the kind of things that that people really need to know yeah but the the formality around it and and especially the uh all of the hierarchy with with the larger churches where they just like any large organization of people, you're going to breed corruption and you're going yeah. to get some really nefarious people at the top who lie to get into their place. Uh, you know, the, this is probably the topic for another podcast entirely because yeah. we're about to be uh, preempted by the No Agenda show. You mean the uh, Sunday morning service? The Sunday morning <laughs> service from the No Agenda show, which which I very much recommend to anybody still listening on the stream. Um but I think that we, we were talking about the, you know, the journalism and Hollywood and, and all of the old institutions that are becoming obsolete in the Internet age. Well, I think you have to put religion in that list. Uh, it, uh, the, 
the number of people who even call themselves religions is is dwindling to the point where if if you're a Christian, you're now a minority group. You know, where's where's my trophy for participating? Right. Well, they're being swapped because climate change is now the new religion. Well, that's that. And that's what I was going to get to is uh, the the need for human spirituality has not decreased. That's a biological need. And and despite what some people might have you believe, uh, you know, our technology is evolving at an astounding rate, but humans aren't really changing all that much. And everybody has a need to be spiritual, to believe in something larger than themselves. And for most of history, that's been religion. And it's it 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 resolves a human need and it religion has by and large been very very good for humans in most cases at least the ones that don't teach you to go out and murder your neighbors they they tell you how to live in a society they fulfill a spiritual need they do uh, they they've been a valuable part and yeah there's always corruption yeah there's always the the certain catholic priests who shouldn't be around uh little boys but uh, by and large the catholic church has done more good than bad oh sure in no its question. history um but they're becoming obsolete and the reason they're becoming obsolete is because they're not changing as fast as society is and so what's so then the question is well what's replacing them and the uh you you've got you know a lot of people and, and the majority of millennials in fact are now if you ask them what their religion is, oh i'm secular oh i'm not religious oh i'm atheist well right. that's because they don't sign on to a formal religion well they but, have but they don't know it they're if they're they're it's cultural marxism and the religion <laughs> is state or i should say it's, the god it's it, it's it's a large number of things that don't masquerade as religion but are replacing our human spirituality especially in in newer generations and uh, some of them are probably acceptable as replacements for religion and a lot of them are at best complete bullshit and at worst uh the kind of things that are actively harmful mm-hmm. marxism i tend to think is actively harmful but we've got a number of other religions like uh if you ever watch how people talk about uh climate change global warming sure. that's that they they will use the word science but mm-hmm. what they say is not based on science. What they're saying is, is you don't believe in 97% of science. They, the, the question is closed. End of discussion. And if you paid any attention in high school science classes, you know that you've, you're never at the end of discussion on the scientific method. There's always room for question. But, but if your religion is science, you can't there there's no question there's no room for doubters well al gore said that it's it's settled and that's it and he wouldn't lie would he <laughs> maybe yeah, once well, or twice our, <laughs> our 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 prophet the degrasse tyson who has uh, never led us astray neil neil <laughs> all neil for neil <laughs> well, well science should never be emotional right that's the no. main thing for me which is science there should always be room to grow. You should always have something open that maybe I'm wrong. But that doesn't happen once you have emotion built behind it and you start saying things like, well, anybody that doesn't agree with this should be put into jail or they need to be sent to a place where they can learn properly that they're wrong. And th- that really it is. This has turned into 
instead of religion. That's something people can get behind because everybody wants to believe that they want to do what's right for the planet, for the next generation. It's, it's filling the biological need for spiritualism in the humans who have convinced themselves that they don't need religion. And again, look at the verbiage. Look at the, if you guys are deniers. Okay. That's a term that's, that's usually found in religious, in the religious realm. Shun the non-believer. Right. You're a non-believer. You're a denier. Okay. It's crazy, but that's how they've, positioned it well and they've positioned it in a way to where the the answer if you remember when i was growing up the answer was let's plant more trees right that's right and that was the big thing the the reason this is kind of segued into what it is now is we we don't need any more trees around here they grow like weeds (laughs) see you have no problem with co2 in your area but carbon dioxide when people are against carbon dioxide i just have to wonder if they were in the science class that explained that every breath that you exhale is carbon dioxide. Sure. I want to bring up a line that, that DC girl just said in the chat room. If we think we have reached the end of human knowledge, then we are fucked. (laughs) DC girl, you're right. (laughs) You you always have to be learning and you always have to leave that. I like to believe I'm right. 99% of the time, but I'm leaving open the possibility that I'm completely wrong. Because whether you choose to continue learning or not, there's always more things to learn. We, <laughs> we have, there, there are so, there are far more things that we don't understand. There are far more things we don't even understand that we don't understand than there are that we understand, even with our uh, terabytes and, and exobytes of information available to us at our fingertips on, on our phones at the table at the bar. Well, well sure. there is- I mean, I think that's the divider between those of, uh, of uh, a spiritual nature and those who are utterly atheistic and worship the state. And, and the, to, to real, I think to be an atheist, you have to have a hell of a, a, a margin of, or a measure, rather, of conceit and arrogance because ultimately it's like it's man as God. We know all well, our science. I, I have the conceit and arrogance. Where do I sign up? <laughs> <laughs> hey, and you know, there's, there's something else that I've learned today, and I hate to break this news to you, Sir Bemrose, you are a podcaster. Ooh. Good thing you're not I, single. <laughs> That's right. Because the women are going to start coming out of the woodwork. <laughs> I, fortunately, I met my wife before I was a podcaster, back when I was a wealthy software developer. Well, see, you know, and that was back when your life was wasted. Now you're a podcaster. But I know you were a little bit, you know, you were a little bit worried about doing a live stream. Was was the experience good? I hope. Um, uh, what you know, what I don't have being a novice podcaster is, uh, I don't currently have the bladder control required to uh, <laughs> you know, do this two-hour show yet. I was thinking about that, Adam and John, three-hour show. I, I don't know how you do it, but it's a. It really depends. <laughs> it's a it is a skill that we all need to to learn. But Sir Bemrose, you did great. I hope everybody in the chat room gives you tons of love, and hopefully, we're going to be hearing a lot more of Sir Bemrose on the No Agenda stream on the new podcast that I'm doing with them, Grumpy Old Ben's. the The website's there, but not fulfilled yet. GrumpyOldBen's.com. Hopefully, our inaugural inaugural episode will be on the stream at some point. You can catch my show at randomthoughts.com, R-A-N-D-U-M-B, thoughts. And, of course, Larry from That Larry Show. 
check his show out. Check Sinner Sunday out. Even if you're a guy like Sir Bemrose who isn't into the whole religion thing, the the stories and about JC, the, I mean the big guy, the really I think hit home for anybody, no matter what your what your religious thoughts are, what your you know where you're coming from, whether you hate religion, like religion, the way that you present it, I think is uh, is a way to get people who don't know anything about religion at least to get a primer on what's going on in a way. That doesn't feel like you're going to school, but more like you say in every Sinner Sunday, like you're kicking back in a lazy boy with some barbecue and beer. That's it. It's the only, well, it's I, only chapel on earth with a neon sign outside I, and, and, and I a do full like, bar inside. I do like me the barbecue and beer. <laughs> so <clears throat> we got a, a few minutes remaining before uh, we got to turn the stream over to Adam Curry. Uh what what do you want to do? Do you want to uh, maybe see if we can take some questions from the chat room? Yeah, I'm sorry. That should be a, a Darren's call. I'm hey, Sir Bemrose is the dude name, ultimate dude name Ben. If there are questions, fire away. And Adam, we uh, just let us know when you need the stream. We have a lot of karma for Sir Bemrose, which is a good thing. <laughs> It, uh, the karma is nice, but unfortunately it doesn't pay my rent. So I don't worry too much about it, but it could. Uh, okay. Oh, we're getting, we're getting yes. the, I'm ready. So yes, Mr. Curry says he's ready. And I know Larry has been really jazzed every time that Adam has been able to introduce oh. that Larry show afterwards. So, you know, I'm Darren O'Neill. He's Sir Bemrose and Larry, if you want to, uh, if you want to kick it over, you can have the last word and Adam can take the stream, but thanks everybody for listening along and uh, coming into the chat room. Wow, it's a beautiful Sunday morning all over the world. And here, Adam Curry, John C. Dvorak, and the podcast, Dig It.